Hello and welcome to the Riff Raff podcast, hosted by Amy Baker and Rosie Edwards. We set up the Riff Raff to champion the work of debut authors and to provide guidance and support for those dreaming of one day being published themselves. Today we're chatting to Gabriel Talon, author of My Absolute Darling. We discuss strong female characters, his approach to a risky profession and how to really get to know your characters. Pleasure to have you on. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. We're so grateful. And Gabriel, um, for those who haven't read My Absolute Darling yet, because they will do, I'm sure, after listening to this, um, can you tell us a little bit about the plot? So the story follows Turtle Alveson, who's a 14-year-old girl growing up on the uh, far western coast of the United States in a very rural and remote region called Mendocino. Um, a lot of people, you guys probably think of it as the wine region if you know of it at all, but I'm from, I'm from like literally the rocky coast of that part where um, you can grow no grapes. <laughs> grow, grapes are a little bit further inland. Um, <clears throat> so she's, she's growing up under sort of the tutelage of her father, and he's a, a charismatic autodidact survivalist, like a, 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 a person voluble on the problems of ethics and philosophy, um, but very controlling um, and, and sort of holding his daughter apart from the rest of the, uh, from the rest of society, the rest of the culture there. And as each step of turtles towards independence provokes retaliation and increasingly controlling behavior, Turtle is, is, is forced to turn violently against this person who means more to her than anything else in the world, right? Her family, her mentor, um, sort of her only person that she has. Um, and what I wanted to accomplish was a portrait of a young woman's fight for her own soul. Uh, cool. <laughs> what made you come up with the name of Turtle? It's a really interesting name for character. <laughs> Yeah, I, I liked Turtle because um, when I was writing this book, I was thinking a lot about endurance. Um, I was thinking a lot about um, the way in which, for some of us, for some folks, the struggle to escape abuse is, is a long-term project um, involving many small decisions, many incremental fights. And so I liked the image of, of, of the turtle as sort of a, you know, like a slow moving, cautious, in my mind, somehow speculative and internal, um, and skittish, very skittish. Like, um, my experience of turtles is that they're very shy. Um, and so all of that, all of that worked for me. Um, that's, that's what I was trying to get at. Um, and I, I think turtles, I don't know, in my mind, they're always sort of mystical creatures. I don't know that I can justify that. <laughs> I don't have that much experience with turtles. As much not so. Well, there's I'm still not, time. There's, there's still plenty time. of time. Yeah, <laughs> I like. I love the fact that you've got that in there. You know, that's that's so kind of like key to what your book's about. And like you've managed. It's and, and you know, if someone didn't ask that question, they might not have made that made that reference. So it's quite. It's lovely. Such attention to detail. So you meant you meant you mentioned that um, that you it's about that a woman a young woman's quest for to kind of like to find her own soul and stuff. And how did you how did you find writing in a female voice? What made you kind of decide to take that on? And, um, yeah, how did you find the process? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, what made me decide to take it on and 
And what was the process? What made me decide to take it on is that I felt that the story was was urgent, right? I mean, I just I felt strongly about it. Uh, I had I had been doing a lot of writing. I was sort of searching for what I most wanted to write about, and I had penned Turtle um, as as one of several stories, but somehow that seemed wrong, right? To relegate her to a role of one of several characters. When her story felt to me obviously um, the most important, the most urgent, and I felt that it required a, that it needed a sort of sustained attention because there's a way in which the effect of cutting in several different chapters or 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 not giving her the space that she needs results in a way that you cut away from her life, like you cut into a different scene. And Turtle can't cut into a different scene. Like, Turtle's experience of her life is is sort of inescapable and unadulterated. And I wanted to capture that, that sort of inescapable immersion of what painful lives are like. Because, you know, when you're reading a book, you can dip in and out of it. But but um, for many people in such situations, the awfulness is that there's no dipping in and out. Um, and your consciousness is sort of an inescapable presence. Um, so it seems like the right thing to do was, was to give Turtle her own book. It just, it just seemed like that was, that was, that was the, the courageous and the just thing to do rather than because survivors are not absent from narratives, right? They're 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 everywhere in narratives, and they always serve the role as supplementary characters and as as sort of um, sounding boards by which the male protagonist makes his emotional development. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want that to be Turtle. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, that was a really long answer. That's no, right? <laughs> answer. No, we like long answers. And, and uh, I still want me to talk about process. Oh yeah, we've, we've got oh, yeah. so many more questions for you. <laughs> Um, but it, I understand it took you about eight years to write. Is that right? Yeah, I generally I I try and make myself feel better by saying like two to three of those years were teaching myself how to write, and only five of them were really writing this well, book. Save five, <laughs> no problem. Um, and did you did you sit down? I mean, you said that kind of Turtle was one voice out of many that sort of you realized was the most important one to, to pick out. Did you sit down with an idea of, of the storylines in place or did they just develop as you as you wrote? Do you think writers need to have their idea fully formed when they sit down to write their book or can you just sit down, start writing and see what comes? Um, I think you have to have glimmers. I think you have to have an intuition. Um, for me, I very much wanted to, like, like something I wanted to get at is um, the idea of environmental destruction and misogyny is very galvanizing to me. I think that there's a way, there's a diseased way that our culture destroys the things that are most important because we cannot tolerate their independence. Like, when we love something, we want to have, we want it to be ours, right? Like, we want it to be like, it can never leave. Like, (laughs) we have absolute dominion over this thing because it's important. And there's a hard way, it's like, there's a way in which it's hard in our culture to be like, this thing is really important to us, but it's not ours. Um, And so I wanted to write about that diseased way of thinking about place. And so uh, that's what I set out to do. Um... And then 
with that as my jumping off point, discovered human stories that were much more important than whatever idea I had set out with. Does that make sense? Yeah, perfect sense. Yeah. yeah. The scenes are obviously, um, you know, when you kind of like, when you write about violence or sort of sexual assault and that kind of stuff, or when you, often when I've read it, I found some of it quite sensational or sensationalised. And with your, with your book, it's so... I don't know how to describe it. How have I got it? I got. I wrote it down here. Like it's just. It's so matter of fact and made. I, I don't know. It's. It's so. That's what makes it so cutting. So how do. How did you find the right tone for that? There we go. Here's the question. <laughs> <laughs> it was in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, here's. Here's sort of the. The answer to that. Um, so, a good slice of 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 the women walking around today are survivors. Right. Like. Um, I hear different statistics, one in six, one in three, um, sometimes it feels more like one in two. Um, and I think that one in six statistic is, is one in six women will be, will be the victim of rape or attempted rape. Uh, growing up as a young man, you see people close to you affected by these stories. Um, and you see everyone around that person lose their fucking mind and isolate that person and refuse to hear those stories. Like we are so diseased about this. It's, um, and there's, it has been so awful, so awful to, to see that. And, um, you know, I've, I've worked with youth and, and, and just had a lot of really important people in my life. And sometimes they ask questions, you know, or sometimes they're telling you about something that happened to them and they will say something that, you know, for a fact is like an experience that many people have, but they will tell it to you as this most peculiar and awful thing about themselves that they have never heard of before and cannot get over. Um, and I don't want to, like delve into details because I like I don't want this conversation to be triggering, um, but uh, it 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 is so enraging to me that that this would be such a common experience, and people who mean the world to me would feel utterly monstrous for this experience. Would have no like no way of seeing seeing their way out and 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 because there's a way that these stories get told they look at that version of the story and they go but that's not me like I'm some sort of sick undeserving shameful survivor like I I don't belong you know and and you just you want to be like Jesus Christ you know like we gotta like I know that this stuff is hard to talk about but like we, we can't leave people this alone um, and so there is a way in which um, I did not want to cut away from that violence because there are people who have questions about what happens after the cutaway. Mm -hmm. um, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what, an, what an amazingly huge topic to take on, you know, like the like that's because I hadn't read sort of interviews sort of where you spoke about sort of the environmental elements Rosie spoke about sort of environmental and the female aspect but I hadn't read anything like that but I've been reading the book and when you hear that it's just like oh my god well what a success because <laughs> it's, it's it's truly incredible like it's an amazing book you know it must it must be like what's it been like kind of having people 
the, the success that it's had, what's that kind of been like for you? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, my experience of that is mostly, um, through booksellers, you know, like mostly what I'm doing is I'm going bookstore to bookstore. And so my experience of this book's success is that I get to hang out with amazing people who are the proprietors of these, these stores that seem to me so important, right? Like these are people whose job it is, is to turn over every stone in the creek bed looking for the most important story and then to bring that back to us um so that it's been like a great joy because you know um i've made i've made i've made friends you know louisa smith at book passage um like basically everyone at bookshop santa cruz like and 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 print and pages and mysterious gallery like there are all of these bookstores that um give me hope about the world um and, and so that has been my experience of taking this book out into the world. And it's been, it's been, it's been fun. Sounds pretty rad. And you, I, I wonder, you were sort of saying, you know, trying, talking to people and, and finding that everyone had had these similar experiences, but, you know, yet experiencing them so personally and in such isolation. Do you, did part of you write the book to make people feel less alone? Yeah, absolutely. That's 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 my that's my essential project um, to make people feel less alone and to make you take um, to make you take the other people in your life more seriously and try and see see them more keenly. I think that when we rely on stereotypes of people or when we don't take them as they really are, we live in a sort of we live in a sort of isolation, um, like a you know, like a solipsistic hell of, of our own creation. Um, so yeah, that's, that, that is my, that was my essential hope. Yeah. And, and obviously you mentioned at the beginning, the setting of the book, that it's near where you grew up is, is how do you think the setting of your own experience and your own, you know, where you've grown up, the surroundings, you know, how does that impact on how you write these are heavy duty theme questions. Guys. I thought we were all. We were going to be lighthearted. We, we? we just want all your secrets, basically. Yeah, yeah. You can just tell us everything that you I'm know about writing. I'm excited to talk about that. Um, I, uh, I loved the hell out of the place I grew up. Can I say that? I loved the place I grew up. Yeah, you can swear. You can swear. swear. I mean, we've had a fuck already, so just chuck them in. Does that sound as weird to you guys as bloody that does did. to me? Does it? Oh, I love what? bloody. That's my fave. Bloody, bloody's so English, isn't it? <laughs> That's why I like uh, it. It sounds like a joke cuss word. It kind of does. <laughs> yeah, we've got a lot of them in the UK. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, I quite like calling someone a burke. Is burke really rude? Well, I think it. Yeah. Um, you know what's really rude? Twat is really rude. They say twat, I believe, oh, really? in America. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> we use it as a term of endearment. Oh, okay. I mean, don't do that over here. I mean, <laughs> I'm not allowed to, but a lot of my friends do. <laughs> I like going from highbrow to super lowbrow. Yeah, exactly. Instantly. So back to highbrow literary questions. Um, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. You love where you, you grew up. And I think place is really important. You know, I think that place sometimes disappears from narrative. Mm -hmm. And I um, have a profound love of place. And I think in this era of environmental destruction and global warming, it is more important than ever to take place seriously as 
as something that gives our lives meaning and which we should not destroy. Um, and so I try to draw attention to that and, and to put place seriously in the book, not as a stage on which human events are carried out, but as a, as a, as a, as a larger than human world and important in its own right. So do, can you tell us a little bit about, um, about your background, how you came to write? Have you always written? I have pretty much always written. Um, I never, like, I did not, I wasn't, I've always told stories to friends in bars. I've always, like, penned stories. It's been a constant thing in my life. I never really thought of myself very much as a, as a, as a writer, um, so much as that this was just this thing that I did that I was passionate about, in part because I think that um, thinking of yourself as a writer can be, like, very egotistical. And there are a lot of people that I, you know, met as a, as a young guy who thought of themselves as writers but who weren't doing very much writing. And I felt very... Um, I wanted to create some distance there yeah. from that project. Um, so yeah, I, I, I always did that. Um, but when I went to school, I became, um, very enamored of critical theory and studied 18th century cultural history and, 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 and got, got really interested in how novels shape culture and how novels are in conversation with culture. And so I sort of wanted to do that for the rest of my life. Uh, I sort of just thought I'd be an academic in part because, uh, being a novelist seemed too risky. <laughs> I was like, I'll pursue a life of stability, like maybe academia. <laughs> I think every writer um, has, who's ever lived has had that thought, like maybe I should go and get a real job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but then I decided to just take a little bit of time off and spend more time in the outdoors. That was sort of my thinking. I was like, I was like, you know, actually being 80 hours a week in a library is really bad for my health. Um, I'll, uh, I'll try spending some time outdoors. So I took a job, um, as a, as an assistant crew leader on a trail crew leading youth in the back country of the Pacific Northwest. Um, those are mountains in the upper Northwest part of the United States. Um, and, uh, I loved it. And then, um, really continued to just try and find opportunities to be out in the outdoors and could never really bring myself to give that up, um, which is why I never pursued an MFA. Um, and I was just writing the whole while. You know, I, was, I, I felt very keenly that if I was going to be taking this much of a risk, I had to be writing pretty seriously. So I tried to write, I set benchmarks for myself and tried to write between 20 and 40 hours a week. Wow, <laughs> that's quite that's that's quite a lot of hours a week. But obviously, it's paid off. Was um was that when you were doing that? Was that when you started writing the book? Did you did you set out thinking I'm going to write this novel with these themes, or did you just find yourself when while doing those twenty to forty hour weeks find yourself coming up with this idea? And is that yeah, I sort of I sort of had several. I sort of was like. You know, um, I I had several avenues that I was I was willing to pursue. I sort of like was writing all the time, and then was like, what sort of write? What sort of novel should I write? And so I sat down and I just started um, 
writing chapters about issues that are important to me. I wrote a bunch of short stories um, and and dug into it. And then when I realized when at the point that I realized, okay, like this just has to be Turtle's book. When I was like, I just have to shuck everything else out and make this Turtle's book. I I uh, became terrified because I was like. I was like, this isn't a novel I'm going to be shopping next year. Like, I'm going to be poor for, like, another five years. <laughs> um, and, like, this may, you know, like, this may go in a drawer, which is, I think, a, a reality that every novelist should reckon with. Um, and, uh, yeah, um, that was, that was so that was scary. I had a little bit of a, um, a crisis there, but just like decided that, um, the only metric I could follow in writing a book would be like trying to say things that I thought were true. Like there was no, for me, there was no trying to write a less risky novel. Mm. Mm. And, and the characters, Turtle and her father, Martin in particular, they are very complex characters. They're, they're intelligent. They're like you say, very opinionated, especially Martin. Um, did their voices come quite naturally to you, or was it very tricky? Did you find it quite tricky to get them right? How did you approach that developing, fleshing them out? The kernel of it came really quickly. Like, Turtle as an intuition of a person came really quickly. And then and then getting it right was a process of draft after draft, like like maybe 12 or 15 drafts of of like beginning to end from the blank page. Um, you know, so what I do is I, I write slow drafts and fast drafts. And then, and then after every draft I'd read what I'd written and I'd be like, okay, like this is the kind of writing that is getting at how difficult people really are. Like this is the kind of writing that, that is paying enough attention that is paying the attention to people that they deserve. This is the kind of writing that is taking Turtle's interiority seriously. And then, you know, I'd, I'd like look at my own writing and I'd be like, here's where I'm relying upon unexamined notions of who Turtle is or what her life is like, right? So like I had the kernel of her, but then I just had to like do a lot of like knocking on the wood to see if it was sound, you know, like, does this ring true? Does this, is this how people feel? Um, and then, and then I would just like hold that in my heart and be like, okay, like this is the kind of writing that I need to be doing. This is the kind of prose style that is working for that writing. Um, and then I would just sit down and write another draft and, and pursue that ideal. While you were going through that process, did you seek kind of advice of people to ensure the details were sat right with them too, that they found them also authentic? Or did you just kind of, like you say, just knock it, figure it out for yourself? Yeah, I had like two or three readers who I think each read the book once. So I was very much along with it, um, but I, uh, I, I did have a couple people that I talked to you. And, 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 and for the most part, I saw it out. Um, you know, really vehement feminists uh, who could like give me a, a a a good reading of it because I sort of I I knew that the book could be misread by misogynists and I I wasn't worried about that. Um, but you know, I, I um one of my readers is like a strong Catherine McKinnon feminist who believes that all sex ever involving dudes is rape. 
<laughs> there's like no worry of her like interpreting her me as saying that like turtle had done something wrong <laughs> and that was that was like that was very helpful because it sort of gave me it was very it was like very clarifying because that isn't how society looks at this like if you were thinking about just taking this book like in any given conversation, there are a lot of people who are always on the lookout um, for things women have done wrong. It's nuts. Um, and it, I, I think it's a, you know, it's like a self, it's like a, it's like a self-preservation knee-jerk reaction that I, I totally wouldn't have expected to be true about the world, but is, is awfully horribly true about the world. Um, so, not writing this book for misogynistic idiots, like trying to write to people who I thought would read with compassion was helpful. Mm. Mm. Yeah, you're so right. I mean, you know, I'm sure there'll be some people who read the book and say, well, why didn't Turtle run away? You know, that kind of... Blaming it like that. Yeah. Just... That's, that's, that's a really strong vo part of her voice as well, is the her seeing, like, seeing from her point of view how she thinks, what she thinks she's doing wrong. What, what would you advise for... Um, anyone listening who's thinking, you know, I really want to write a book, I want to tackle some big topics, you know, I've got stuff I really want to say, um, maybe they're contentious, you know, opinions, what, what would your advice be for anyone who wants to write a sort of big, big theme, big idea book? Um, go drinking with smart people. <laughs> uh, and work like hell, you know, um, I think, and I think you, I think, this is tough for me because, like, I don't really consider this to be a big idea book. Like, I didn't want to write a didactic book. I think didactic books are great. Like, big idea books are great. But my metric became just Turtle's life. And I sort of abandoned, like, all of the notions of ideas that I started out with. Um, but I think the key is, for big projects, is to, is, to just, is to just pour yourself into it. Like, I think some people are hesitant because... It feels like, um, you know, you should go into it with a game plan or, or it's going to be a huge waste of labor. And I'm sure that there are writers who do that, um, but I'm a brute force of labor kind of person. And I, I, I think that um, for me, and you're, you asked me, um, good thinking through good problems involves involves thoroughness involves involves just a huge volume of time and wasted wasted effort because um, if you try and be efficient you pursue only your preconceived notions and it, it is in being willing to just waste time on a project that you sound out every thorough idea and that you give it the time it deserves and it's bad it's bad to crutch yourself along on on unexamined ideas and stereotypes oh waste time <laughs> yeah that's my, that's my kind of advice so what, what do you what did you find were the main challenges that you had writing this what were what were the sort of main roadblocks that you came up against what were the main you know um the story was so immersive for me um I, and I wrote in, in, you know, like a lot of 12 and 16 hour sittings. And so it's very hard to know, like when you're trying to hit a note, like when you're trying to hit an idea, um, 
when you've gotten it across and when you haven't. And so the hardest thing for me was sort of just being like, just being like, there's a lot that people are not going to get. And that's fine. Like, like that's like a turtle can be, can be more than you would ever get on like a first reading. And, and that's okay. It's more important that I render turtle in a way that I think is serious than I render her in a way that I think is easily readable. Mm. I have days where I accomplish very little, right? And for me, the the thing is to keep trying, right? Is to like keep working, and you keep working at it, and then um, you accomplish nothing. And I think that the way to do it is just to see it as like putting in your time. You know, that's the unpaid internship of that chapter. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and right, like I, I I was working in a restaurant. I was I was climbing. I was really nervous about this project, and I could only justify it to myself if I was working pretty seriously. And so I felt like okay. I can have days where I'm writing and I write nothing good, but I can't have days where I'm watching TV and feeling like I'm about to write um, because that's not working. But I can sit at my computer slamming coffee, hating myself, not getting anywhere. Does that make sense? That's the writing experience you all know and love. There it is. Can you tell us a little bit about the next project that you're working on? Please. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, um, I uh, I mean right now I'm just writing I'm I'm tinkering around on short stories and projects that are like a little bit easier to get into, um, but I have a novel project um, and it's about it's it's a it's a sort of a buddy novel about friendship and um, these climbers who are climbing sandstone towers down in southern Utah and. And um, one of them has a has a horrible, catastrophic, life changing accident, um, and just completely completely destroys herself and her climbing career. And so it's a little bit about friendship after that, going from being a like a really blessedly capable person to because one of the complications of such injuries is 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 deep depression. And so and so it's a little bit about. Um, climbing with depression and 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 loving like being passionate about something to which you will never make a significant contribution. That sounds like my writing career sometimes. <laughs> it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds incredible. I can't wait to read it. Yeah, it sounds it sounds brilliant. Do you, you obviously? So this second book also has what well, it sounds to have another strong female. Narrative is writing strong female narratives something that really really interests you. Yeah, I don't know. It just seems like about half the people in my life are female. <laughs> um, what a surprise! And I mean, statistically, that probably uh, is correct. Are, are about as interesting. <laughs> uh, the the protagonist is a is a dude, um, and and has 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 strong women in his life. Um, yeah, I think that. Um, I think that they're both interesting. You know, honestly, um, if you looked at the total volume of my writing, it would probably split down the middle. Mm. Yeah. Cool.
Good to know. It's really good to know. Well, we won't take up any more of your time, but thank you so much for speaking to us and for writing your incredible book. I would quite like to know about your how you got how you got the deal. I'd love to hear a little bit about that and how that went for you. What what deal? Like your book deal. <laughs> the deal. Oh, um, get an agent. Yeah, yeah. So I think agent. Um, my agent has been has been a total has been a total rock. So. Um, I don't know, in 2011 or 2012, I published a story called Men Against Violence, um, and a, um, a professor at UC Irvine reached out to me um, and was like, this is a really good story. Um, she, 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 she was sort of an old family friend, but she and I hadn't been in touch. Michelle Lachiolet, and um, she um, was like, if you need help, you know, if you need advice, if you need guidance through this, um, I, I would be happy to do that. And so we, we talked about agents. I did a lot of the, um, you know, buying books and pouring through the lists of agents. I think that's sort of a back-ass words way to do it. I think that the thing to do is find books that you admire and you think you're similar to and um, look in the back and see what agent is thanked in the, in the, in, at the back of the book. Um, but but so I got I got a recommendation for for Joy Harris that way, and um, Joy has been a fantastic agent because she's so grounded. Like um, I have you know I have all kinds of people in my life, some grounded, some not. Um, but in that capacity, like her her groundedness is actually so helpful to me because I'm such an outsider. Like I'm just in, I don't know how it seems to you guys because it's like a different place, but Utah is very far away from New York. Culturally, you know, um, it's probably, you know, it's, I don't know what the comparison out there would be, but I feel about as far from New Yorkers as I feel from Londoners culturally. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, navigating this out here um, you know, it's, it's helpful to have someone like that, someone who's on your team and someone who's just totally, completely legible. Like I, a lot of, um, a lot of agents are like a little too cool for their writers or like, aren't, aren't quite there for your writers. And I would encourage you to, to find an agent who you really like, who's a friend and an ally, not an agent who feels like they have clout, but they don't have time for you. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Because book speaks for itself. Your book speaks for itself. Um, and it doesn't seem like having hip agents is... It's not as helpful as having a friend. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I found Joy, and, and, and Joy's the one who put together that you know, deal. And, and we... I called and talked to a number of editors, and I, I wish I could have sold the book to all of them because my experience of editors out here in New York is that they are incredible people. Um, but I was I I w was just completely hit it off with Sarah, and and knew that she was an excellent match for the book. Does that does that answer your question? So I think the process is a lot more human than maybe you were expecting. Oh, no, that's really that's really interesting and really useful. Thank you very much. So when when can we expect the next book? Is that it's not going to be another eight years? <laughs> Please say no. No idea. <laughs> I just I'm just going to work like hell. Okay. 
Sounds cool. like a good plan. We'll be reading it. But thank you so much for speaking to us today. And yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a real pleasure to hear your insights. The Riff Raff Podcast is hosted by co-founders Amy Baker and Rosie Edwards. Come say hey at the-riffraff.com.